Welcome to the Future Tech edition of the Finding Genius podcast. Forget frequently asked questions, forget common sense, common knowledge, or Googling for information. How about advice from a genius in their field instead? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are the geniuses of their profession. Richard has made it his life's mission to interview the geniuses of their fields in areas such as AI, 3D printing, quantum computing, blockchain and Bitcoin, and more. Don't miss out on amazing podcasts with geniuses. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and go to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com and subscribe today. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast series. I have a member of ESA, the European Space Agency. I've interviewed them a number of times. They always are very supportive in bringing guests to the podcast. So they brought me this time uh, Arnaud Runge. He's an instrument, instrumentation engineer, uh, life support and physics sciences. Uh, he works in various projects, but uh, one big one is an umbrella called the Artist Program. We're going to talk about uh, some of the applications there. So Arnaud, thank you for coming. Thank you, Rich, for giving me the opportunity to uh, present you what we do at ESA. Yeah. Well, tell me about the uh, the artist program. What uh, what are some interesting projects you're working on there that are recent? So, so uh, among the different uh, programs that uh, that uh, we are working for at ESA, there is Artes, which is uh, an optional program for the the member states of ESA, meaning that the different uh, member states can decide whether or not they want to put money in that program. And um, I work on a, on a program line that is called uh, Integrated Applications, which are actually which is now called business um, space solutions. And the idea is to really promote the use of space for um, increasing the, the benefits of the, uh, the daily life. So typically, how can we use all the, the things that space is producing? Should it be uh, technologies, uh, communications via satellites, positioning data, etc., to create new products and new services to either enhance existing services or to meet new needs from different user communities. Yeah, what are some of the applicable technologies you've seen that you think will be uh, able to be used by people on Earth? Yeah, so, so, so typically the, uh, the outcomes of the projects we are uh, supporting via this, uh, this program, they, they can be found in many areas of uh, the daily life. They go from, from health, uh, telemedicine, um, e-health, uh, new technologies that are derived from things that we develop for our astronauts when they do uh, exploration missions or when they go to International Space Station. But then we have many other topics like uh, precision farming. So we help typically farmers to uh, have a better utilization of the resources like water or uh, the use of fertilizers to have a, uh, let's say, a less important footprint on the environment and make some economic savings as well. Uh, but we also work in domains like uh, insurance, uh, tourism, uh, forest management, anything you want. Um, as long as there is, let's say, an implication of a space element that creates, let's say, an added value for, um, for the users of this service. Um, due to my background, I work mostly in medical projects or aviation-related projects. Sorry about the break there. Okay, yeah, we'll edit that out. So. Um your focus mainly is medical products and aviation type products. So what, what are a few of those that uh, we can talk about? Um, so for the, um, for the medical projects, uh, we have a number of, of, of things. 
um, they are either originated by uh, industry that comes to us and says, um, look, I have, have this, this concept uh, of, uh, of a new product or a new service for which space could play a role. And um, this is the case, for instance, for a project we had with um, uh, a small company in the UK that is called Remote Diagnostic Technologies. Um, and they came to us saying, you know, we would like to develop a, a unit that is able to monitor a number of physiological parameters like uh, heart rate or uh, blood pressure or temperature and these kind of things. And we think that if we place this uh, unit into aircraft, um, we could limit the number of unnecessary flight diversions that are due to medical reasons. So there, there are a number of these uh, events that happen uh, every year in the, in the, in the world of uh, commercial aviation. And um, there are a number of them that are unnecessary. So people think that yeah, for safety reasons, it's better to make the aircraft land um, and they want to take no risk. In a number of these cases, um, the flight diversion could have been avoided by just taking a medication or just like putting the, um, the, the victim at, at, uh, at rest and just like continue the flight normally. Um, so the idea was to have this aircraft equipped with a service with a unit that can measure a number of parameters and communicate them to the ground and also have like a direct link with a medical doctor on the ground to decide whether or not it makes sense to have the aircraft landing at a different place than the normal destination. And the interest is, of course, for the company is the image of the company because you don't want to yeah, divert an aircraft if it's not necessary. But there are also cost implications because if you land, then there are a number of fees to be paid by the airline. You have to compensate the passenger, etc bring them uh, to a new aircraft to bring them finally to their end of their journey. So that's how the adventure uh, started in a way with this company. And since then, they worked further with us to really develop and mature the product that, um, that they initially proposed. And uh, this has become so successful that uh, Philips has uh, noticed them and they bought the company uh, recently, like two years ago. So now we are still in contact with them to do a number of projects. Um, that are related to the upgrades of this unit. And uh, the, what is very nice is that this unit is using positioning data. So they get data from our satellite to, to trace really the position of the units and um, then the, the ambulance or the crew that is uh, using the unit. But the, the unit also has a possibility to send the data over a satellite link, meaning that well, okay. you are using... A couple of quick questions yep. here with it. Um, how many incidents happen a year? How many medical incidents that cause diversions happen? Uh, it depends on the company, depends on the, on the routes. Um, I would have to find actually the, the exact figure. Um, I mean, ballpark, are there like a few dozen or there are hundreds? Is it is Yeah, it yeah these, these, are, these are a few dozen, but basically if you save one flight diversion, you're already, let's say, compensating the cost, the investment for uh, procuring the device. And, and all the associated okay. costs, like the satellite transmission. Yeah, I never thought about this, but on a typical flight, is there any ability for the flight crew to do anything medical? Or do they have to search around and ask someone if they're a doctor? And Are they pretty helpless? There is the typical question, like, is there a doctor on board? Which is probably not uh, very uh, uh, comfortable for the passengers to hear because then they suspect something is wrong. But typically, uh, any cabin crew receives um, sort of first aid training, but they are not visibly not experts. Um, so what happens is that, um, for instance, when you have a, a cardiac issue, it can be just like fainting, 
but it could be also something more serious. And the uh, a cabin crew is not is not trained to answer this properly. So that's why you need to have some um, some ground support. Yeah, do they even have ground support? Do the airlines have one or more doctors on staff that could be instantly called and video chatted in? I mean, even that would help if they had something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well actually, I, I attended uh, quite some time ago a conference on uh, the very long haul flights and the need to have telemedicine on board and these kind of things. Well, some of the people claim that um, yeah, you, can, you have like telemedicine because the pilots from the cockpit can use VHF and make a call. Um, this is true, but actually when you are over the ocean, uh, over the Atlantic, well, sometimes the VHF is not the best solutions because the waves are not uh, propagating very well. So you have a poor connection. So satellite is the way to bridge the aircraft to the ground. But anyway, this example was just the starting point of a collaboration that further matured. And more recently, we have used these technologies uh, with um, air ambulance services. That they use helicopters around the uh, area of London in the UK. And uh, typically, uh, for them, it was really a great improvement on, on the, the way they work. Um, for instance, on, uh, during the trial of the, the projects that we had, they supported more than, uh, than 50 cases um, during which they use the technology to uh, get the physiological data of the patient and bring it already via um, a connecting link to the hospital so that the hospital could get prepared to the arrival of the, of the patient. And just recently, they used it for a, a tragic accident where um, a seven-year-old child was, uh, was stabbed in the heart and the medical team did an emergency open chest surgery and they used the technology that we, we support uh, to develop um, and they sent the data to the receiving hospital. And so far, the, the child was doing very well. So that's just one of the several cases where it has been used and made a, a tremendous positive impact on the, um, on the patient care. So for us, that's uh, obviously um, a very nice achievement. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's not much uh, going on, apparently, on board flights, so it needs to happen. So what, what, other, yeah, um, yeah. what other medical uh, products have you worked on that are going to have an impact? So, um, so this, the, the one I just mentioned is one of the most successful ones in terms of, let's say, technological maturity, technological uh, readiness, but also on, on, in terms of commercial results. Because as I mentioned, the company has been bought by, by Philips recently and they have, sell, they have sold a lot of units uh, to different uh, countries, to different kind of uh, users. But we also worked on some other projects like um, a laboratory that is able to make some uh, biological um, measurements, uh, especially in the context of uh, epidemics. So the, the laboratory is uh, managed by a, a Belgium uh, research center and uh, that is located near Brussels. And they just uh, got certified, let's say, as a, as a tool for, by the European Commission to react to a uh, major crisis in the, in the field of, let's say, biology and uh, biological threats. And you might have uh, heard about the Ebola crisis that uh, has been striking a few years ago in Africa, uh, in particular in Guinea. And this was at the time we were running the project. So we used this opportunity to really fully validate uh, the, the lab and the technologies we were uh, working on in this context. And uh, typically, um, the lab was deployed in one of the places where Ebola was striking. So what is remarkable about this is that the lab is able to connect via satellite and to reach out experts uh, that are, in a way, uh, required to, uh, to deal with Ebola. And as you know, Ebola is a very fast-evolving disease. 
and uh, you needed to have access, I wouldn't say in real time, but let's say very rapidly to different kind of uh, specialties. So for instance, uh, specialties in immunology, in hematology, uh, and in pediatrics where, uh, where kids are involved. And so the fact that this lab had this, this uh, SATCOM capabilities uh, was enabling the specialists to talk uh, with the experts that were deployed on the ground to adapt really the treatment for the different patients that, that were met. Um, this was also very instrumental as well to manage all the stocks of consumables, um, as well as for the, uh, the teams that were deployed to have like, let's say, frequent contact with their families. So it was really boosting their, uh, let's say, their willingness to work and, and, and complete the mission in a very effective way. So it was very good for their morale. Well, what, what are some of the things that happen when there's an outbreak of disease that, you know, cause issues? What are some of the inefficiencies? So um, what, what happens is that, of course, when these, these outbreaks, they happen, uh, they are not always taking place in cities. Um, that was the case in Africa, for instance. And uh, there are villages that are not able to be connected via the normal phone networks. Uh, uh, 3G, 4G, they, doesn't work. And in some cases as well, um, if you rely on, let's say, conventional communication lines, which are terrestrial networks or phone networks, when there is really a major uh, crisis that can be caused by natural causes as well, you uh, cannot use this, uh, these systems. So satellite is really making the difference because you cannot basically break the satellite link. And it allows you to transmit a number of data and connect with other people in a very fast and reliable way. And you can also send a quite a huge amount of data. So in the case of Ebola, for instance, uh, there were a number of samples that were analyzed and all the data was sent to uh, Europe for um, being checked by experts so that they could, uh, they could see like, if they would be at the place and provide their feedback in a very fast manner. And we could see, uh, although of course it was not a comparison, but with other labs that were not enhanced with space technologies, we could see the difference in terms of effectiveness of the answer that was brought to the populations. So with this, this lab that was uh, SATCOM equipped in a way, the area has been completely cleared of Ebola, uh, while the others, they were a bit struggling with it. So again, that's, that's a good proof that uh, space can really make uh, a great difference in, in the way um, services are being developed and, and provided to, to populations. Do you know what the... Uh you know, the coronavirus outbreak, if uh, this technology is going to be used or is being used? So the, the technology, in a way, is um, agnostic of the, the virus or uh, the, um, let's say, uh, the, the biological threat. Uh, because what we, what we will do, the, the people in the lab, they will just like take some samples. They will inactivate uh, the, um, the, the viruses or the, the bacteria. So in a way, they will make it harmless. Uh, but still, they will be able to... Uh, detect them and uh, analyze them and make sure that we can bring the, let's say, the, the best possible answer. So it's completely agnostic of the, the kind of um, infection that is, uh, that is found on the place, which makes it a very versatile tool and can be reused in different kind of, um, uh, let's say, places with different kind of pathologies. So typically you could have uh, this tool used for yellow fever or uh, for stress or uh, any, any kind of things like this. Okay. Um, you mentioned medical technologies and then another area, aviation. Um, you know, having better medical care on board for flights obviously brings the two together. Are there any aviation-specific ones that you want to 
talk about. Um, so yeah, I, I mentioned this too because actually my, my background is twofold. So um, on the one hand, I have a master degree in uh, medical engineering, which is like the initial step I took at ESA working as a medical engineer there, but also um, qualified as a commercial pilot and I have quite some flight experience. And I also give this expertise uh, to ESA for more aviation-related projects. Um, so there we are, we are having a number of uh, initiatives that we support to um, yeah, improve the, the performances of airlines or improve the effectiveness in the way airports are operated, for instance. Um, to give you an example about airlines, and uh, we, we are working with a company that is based in the UK and works on uh, data analytics to make sure that the aircraft uh, will have, um, let's say, a better way to manage the, the health of the engines of the aircraft. Uh, nowadays, an engine is a huge cost, uh, a huge part of the cost for an aircraft, and you want to make the, the best use out of it. And you want to avoid, in particular, uh, unpredicted maintenance schemes. So this happens, for instance, if you have to fly uh, around a volcano or yeah, you have heard about the uh, terrible fires that uh, are taking place in Australia. So, of course, if you fly in, this, in the vicinity of these events, the uh, air that will go into the, uh, the engines uh, will probably damage some of the internal parts of the, uh, the uh, the jet engines, which means that the companies have to take the aircraft on the ground, carry more uh, inspections, or maybe replace some, some, some parts in an earlier way than it was supposed to be. And the idea is that using satellite data, Earth's observation data, combined with a number of uh, models, atmospheric models, the idea is to um, make sure that we can adapt the route of the aircraft to minimize the impact of the environment on the engine health. At the same time, um, we can do the opposite. We can really uh, amend the route of the aircraft to make sure that uh, we'll use less fuel um, and avoid areas, for instance, where there are ice crystals in the air. And these ice crystals, they also have an impact on the health of the engine, but they come um, also with a penalty cost for the aircraft. Because when an aircraft is flying into ice crystals, they have to uh, burn, let's say, more fuel to de-ice the engine. And this more fuel is, uh, yeah, is, a, is a cost for the company, but this has a negative impact for the environment. So by, by choosing more carefully routes, by analyzing a number of data that are taken by satellites, we can improve the, the, the economical effectiveness of the company and we can improve the, uh, let's say, the footprint on the environment from, uh, from the aircraft operator. Everybody's Why... Yeah, why why are ice crystals such a big deal? And you know what happens if you have to fly a route wherein ice crystals could form, or is there a technology that would stop them from forming? I mean, let's talk a little so, more in depth about that. Yeah, so so the, the, these ice crystals they, they will uh, they will be ingested into the aircraft, and they will uh, they will melt, and uh, they can they can um, damage some critical parts uh, in the in the turbo engines. Um, because they will create, for instance, uh, temperature differences. And uh, the idea is that uh, the, um, uh, the engines, they are like um, very nice pieces of technology, but they are also very fragile. So um, what we want to avoid is that uh, these engines, they go to uh, yeah, more frequent inspections because of the potential risk that are, that are triggered by these, these ice crystals and the modifications they could uh, imply to the, uh, to the engine and material structure. So um, uh, this is a well-known issue to, uh, to pilots. 
And whenever possible, they, they try to avoid these uh, ice crystals because they, they really can damage the, um, the engine blades of the, of the aircraft. Well, how do you avoid them? I mean, if you're up at certain altitudes, um, I mean, I would, I would think they just exist. And the relative humidity of the air you're flying through, I mean, what are some so, measures so, they could do to, to prevent them? So that, that's where uh, modeling and, and satellite observation data can, uh, can enter into the game because there are conditions where these ice crystals can, uh, can form and there are positions where we are more likely to, an altitude where we are more likely to, uh, to find them. So typically, uh, by feeding the model with the data and the observation from satellites plus running the model, we'll be able to kind of predict where they are and adapt the routes um, to, uh, to avoid these, these locations. So in some cases, you, one might say, okay, you, have, you, you take a longer route, but if you take this longer route, but in the end, the, cost, um, the, the fuel penalty cost is, is less, uh, you will still gain and you will preserve your engines. So it's really kind of a predictive tool uh, to, to choose the best, uh, the best routing that you can have uh, to, um, to avoid this, this crystal, it's ice crystals areas based really on observation data uh, from satellites. Are there any programs right now that can optimize a jet's fuel use? You know, maybe have it speed up in certain parts or slow down or go to higher or lower altitudes or take different paths? And I don't know what factors would, would uh, you know, would tell it to go one way or another, but are there programs like that? Or is it just cruise control the whole way? Um, <clears throat> the thing is, the routes, so they are really computed on, based on uh, uh, and all, all the data that are acquired during the, the flights. Um, because the aircraft nowadays, they are full of sensors. So the idea is that each, um, each flight is analyzed on the ground by, uh, by specialists uh, for the, the major um, airlines. And they, they, they compute all the data, uh, they check the, the, f the fuel consumption, and they have a kind of, let's say, a map of anything that can um, increase or decrease the, uh, the fuel consumption for, uh, for a flight. So, for instance, over one year, they will measure all the flights uh, from a point A to a point B, and they will check each time based on the different altitudes or, um, uh, let's say, yeah, route that is taken, uh, if there is uh, a fuel consumption increase or decrease. And based on that, they will build statistics to automatically adapt the routing um, and uh, hopefully go for, uh, let's say, faster uh, flights with a lower uh, cost of the, of the fuel. And uh, space can help as well here because with the, the data that we provide with the observation satellites, we can feed this data into the models and help the uh, specialist on the ground to understand what is best for the, uh, the, uh, the routing of the aircraft. We have actually uh, currently a project um, which is uh, run by uh, a Dutch company. And the idea is that they will... Uh, propose a four-dimension model, so a 3D model plus an evolution across time of the atmosphere, um, less, for, less for large uh, airlines, but rather for general aviation pilots and uh, business jet operators, because these, these uh, stakeholders, they have not such a big uh, weather support office uh, to, prepare, to help them preparing the flights. So the idea is that in real time, these pilots, they can be connected uh, via satellite communication systems and receive an update of the weather while they are flying. So with, with this idea of 
again, improving the performances of the aircraft. So maybe going to higher or lower altitude and have a more favorable wind. So therefore consume less fuel. But also at the same time, um, they will maybe have a safer flight because not all aircraft are able to cross uh, bad weather, uh, which can have like turbulence um, or icing conditions that are associated to, the, to the, the clouds in which they fly. So this is another kind of service that Earth Observation Data and SATCOM can bring to aviation stakeholders is to help them to better prepare and execute their flights. Well, very good. Uh, Arnaud, what's, what's the best way for people that are interested to see these projects and more? Where can they go to find out what's coming and what's in use? So we have, um, we have a website, uh, which is um, business.isa.int. Uh, in there, you will find the list by category, by topic of all the projects we have been uh, supporting. So I mentioned different topics, of course, health and aviation. But as I said before, we have plenty of topics and they will find there a description of, of the, the mechanisms that, uh, that we have in place to support new projects, uh, new services for the benefits of, of everybody. And uh, they will, um, by going to this, uh, to this website, so they will, they will get uh, an overview of what we can do. And uh, if they decide to apply, they can get uh, from ESA some financial support, but also some expertise uh, technical or more business oriented to make sure that their project will become a success. Well, that's great. Arnaud, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Future Tech Edition of the Finding Genius Podcast. This podcast is information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe today by going to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com.